Welcome to the Vintage Church Podcast. Through this podcast, we hope to challenge and equip you to take your next step in your relationship with Jesus and in living and loving like Him. There are a lot of things that feel different about church right now. Without the ability to collectively and unrestrictedly gather each week in one location, it's easy to wonder if the way we do church will ever go back to normal. Throughout the Bible, we see very clear core values that have guided God's people for thousands of years, no matter the circumstances or season. And we implement these same ideals in shaping ministry here at Vintage Church. In this summer series, we are talking about our core values, knowing that strategies may change, but what matters most will not. All right, go ahead and grab your Bible or open up the app or however you're going to access God's Word. Go to John chapter 4, the Gospel of John. That's if you go to the New Testament, go to Matthew, keep going, go to Mark, keep going, go to Luke, keep going. When you get to John, go to John chapter 4. That's immediately following John chapter 3. And just before John chapter 5, John chapter 4, and we're going to dive in. We're just going to go ahead, and, and, and uh, I know that some of us like to dip our toe in the water. And I've talked about that before. Who, when you go to the pool in the summertime, who, who are these people? Oh, it's too cold. I hate y'all. I judge y'all. I don't hate y'all. I judge y'all. Like, who, who else is just like, let's just cannonball it in? Let's just go, let's get it over with. Let's just feel all the shock of the... This has nothing to do with what I'm gonna preach. So go to John chapter four. <laughs> John chapter four, I'm gonna start with verse one. It says, now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Verse 8. Now his disciples had gone into the town to hit up Burger King. Now, it would have been Chick-fil-A. <laughs> Jesus chicken, right? No, uh, verse nine. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For you see, Jews don't associate with Samaritans. Verse 10. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, this woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is really deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming back here to draw water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. 
Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Verse 23, yet a time is coming. As a matter of fact, has now come when the true worshipers will worship the father in the spirit and in truth for they are the kind of worshiper the father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship him in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah called Christ is is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? And now everything that we just read makes absolutely no sense. There's not a single detail about this story that makes sense, at least not to the original readers. From beginning to end, this doesn't make sense. And I just imagine what John is thinking about when he, when he pins these reflections. And now remember, when John is writing his gospel, he doesn't realize he's writing the Bible. You do realize the church was about 400 years old before we have the Bible the way that we have the Bible, the way it's formed and put together. Now, now we had the Torah and we had the Old Testament prophets and all these things. And then we had these manuscripts of, of all these letters that Paul had written and of the gospels. But at this time, Paul doesn't realize, I mean, John doesn't realizing he's writing the Bible. He is moving toward the end of his life. And before he dies, he wants to make sure that his recollection of his experience with Jesus gets recorded. So he sits down and he begins to remember all these beautiful moments that he had during the days that he walked with the savior of the universe. And last week, we opened up, he opens up his, his reflection different than anybody else does. He doesn't start with Mary and Joseph and the baby in the manger. He starts in chapter one with this declaration of who Jesus was and what he had meant to his life. In the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God. And he says, this, the, the light had come and people didn't realize it, but all those who did realize it, they got the right to become children of God and all the inheritance that comes with it. And then he starts telling all these stories and everything that John writes after chapter one is to try to get everyone who would ever read this letter, this journal, this reflection to believe what he declares in chapter one. He would even say, this is written so that you might believe. And then these back-to-back chapters, chapter three and chapter four, He recalls these encounters that Jesus has with two people that couldn't be more different from one another. Last week, we looked at that story, Nicodemus, a man whose name that we know, a man who could not be more different than the woman that he just encountered in chapter four. And 
Maybe these were as sequential as they seem in scripture. Maybe these encounters did happen back to back, but John is remembering there was this, this guy named Nicodemus and I knew his name and everybody knew his name. And then there's this woman that we don't even know who she was because when we showed up and we saw Jesus talking to her, we were so shocked that he was talking to her. We, we were kind of paralyzed with confusion. It says, when the disciples, did you see that? When the disciples showed back up after their lunch run, they see Jesus talking to someone who would be the last person on earth they would expect him to engage. To be there for the conversation with Nicodemus somewhat made sense. Nicodemus was well-known. He was religious. He was man. He shared a lot of things in common maybe that they had. But now he's talking to a woman, not just a woman, a Samaritan woman. Some of us, we don't, we don't get how foreign that would have been. And we even judge the disciples. How could they walk up and not even engage? This just didn't happen. For a Jewish man to engage a woman that wasn't his family member, especially, nonetheless, a Samaritan woman, a woman of a race, of a nationality, of an ethnicity, that Jews did everything they could to avoid. To Jewish people, Samaritans were half-breeds. And when John begins to tell this story, says Jesus had to go to Samaria as if, as if there was no other option. But the reality is, yes, geographically where Jesus was and where Jesus wanted to go, Samaria was kind of in the way. But the traditional path for someone Jewish to go where he was going would be to go around Samaria that if you needed to go from there and you needed to go to Galilee, you, you wouldn't dare go through Samaria. You wouldn't risk even the chance of having an encounter with one of those people. So when John writes, he had to go to Samaria, I wonder if Jesus made it known, we're going through Samaria. And the disciples would have been like, wait, what? Jesus, we... <laughs> we don't go through Samaria. Not he had to as in there were no other options as in he had to so much so that Jesus was determined and made it known to John and the others, we are going through Samaria, whether you want to or not. That I know there are places and people you spent your whole life using every bit of the energy you have to go around. Those people are the very people that I'm going to engage And so Jesus, because he had to, goes to Samaria and he goes to this well and he sits down and he's all by himself, all alone. And now you always wonder what Jesus knew and what he didn't. Because he was, he was fully divine and fully human. Did he know this divine appointment was on the way or was he hoping for it? Was he looking for an opportunity? I'm gonna go through Samaria because there's something that I need to do as a part of my ministry. Did he go through Samaria in hopes that he would encounter a, a Samaritan in some form or some fashion so that he could teach his disciples a lesson and show everyone who would follow him before that, hey, that I came for everybody. The people that, that look different than you and sound different than, than you, like the, the very people that you spent your whole life trying to avoid are the very people I will intentionally engage. And if you're gonna follow me, you'll have to do the same. 
Come on, somebody. And there he's by the well. And see, now at noon, there, there would have been no reason for anybody else to expect anybody would come. It's the middle of the day. People didn't go get water in the middle of the day. Why? Because it was hot. So what they would typically do in the custom for their culture would be the, all the women of that village would collectively get up in the morning and go together. That they would gather up all the buckets that they could carry and collectively, if this was the job that was reserved for the women of this culture, they would get up early in the morning. They would gather all their pails, all their buckets, everything that they would need. They would go to the well. They would fill up every bucket to get enough water that would last them till the next morning. Then they would go back to the village. And Jesus is sitting there by the well and up walks this woman. Strange that she's there in the middle of the day. Why didn't she come with the rest of the ladies from the village when they came early that morning? Could it be perhaps that, that she was a bit of an outcast? That maybe she used to come early in the morning but she got tired of hearing everybody snicker about her behind her back because she had a little bit of a past. And the ladies, y'all know who y'all can be. That's her. She had a foul husband. And that dude she lived with, ain't hey, her husband. Girl. And maybe she just got tired of it. Maybe she got tired of the snickers and the sneers. And, 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 and so she was coming to the well at a time of day in hopes that she could do it all alone. And maybe that had become her new routine. She could go at noon because by noon, all the women had come, they had gotten all their water and had gotten back. And, and she wouldn't even have to cross paths with them as she headed to the well and they came back. She wanted to give them enough time to go get their water, get back, and then she could come and get her water for her household and never have to see their stares or hear their snickers or engage in them in any way. And she walks up and there's some man by the well and she's thinking, oh no, the very thing that I was hoping to avoid is about to happen. And Jesus says, hey, how about, how about you give me a glass of water? How about I, I'm, I'm really thirsty, can I have some water? And she's so shocked. Do, do you not realize that you're not supposed to be talking to me? You're a Jew, which says to me, even they, they could see a physical difference in one another. That there was even something so different about their physical appearance, it was evident. It says, you are a Jewish man. I am a Samaritan woman. We're not supposed to be having this conversation. And is she even in that moment trying to do everything she can to go ahead and shut down the interaction? 
because she has gotten to that place where she has built that barrier and, and she's doing everything she can to avoid having to engage other people because every time that's happened with her and for her, it seems to go sideways. And Jesus says, can I have a drink of water? And just the very fact that he is engaging her, I don't know if she's confused or if she's maybe mad or what, because she just does, she doesn't want to, I get the sense, she, she doesn't want to engage in this conversation. And she says, are you sure you want to drink water from me? And then his reaction is even more confusing. Jesus is the only one in all of history that ever could play the card. Do you know who I am? Only one throughout history that had every right to do it. He says, if you understood who I, who I am, if you really had any idea who I am, you'd be asking me for a drink. You don't even have anything to draw water with. See, I've got this water that I'm gonna give to people that is so special. When people drink from it, they don't ever go thirsty. And she's like, that sounds awesome because I am tired of walking out here. I'm tired. Like she really is feeling that. Who knows how far exactly we could look it up, the, the distance from her village to this well. I'm tired of filling up these pails and carrying these heavy jokers. Y'all know like a gallon of water weighs eight pounds. I don't know how I remember that in my brain. I don't, it just came out. Be impressed. So I'm filling up this water enough to cook with and bathe with and do all the stuff with. And I'm tired of this trip back and forth. What you've got sounds awesome. And he's like, you don't really understand. So I tell you what, go get your husband. And I'll, I'll explain it. Maybe, you, maybe you'll be more comfortable. I'll explain it to both of you. And she says, I have no husband. And now, how, how do you read what Jesus says next? Because can I tell you how I think most of us read it? Jesus says, that's right, you ain't got no husband. You have five husbands, and the one you with now ain't your husband. You ever, stop judging me. Have you ever read it like that? As if that's how Jesus responded with this, this sense of, gotcha, I already knew that. Why do we read it that way? Have you ever read anything about Jesus that would actually lead you to believe that that is the tone with which he responded? That's more you than Jesus. That's more your own bias, prejudice, judgmental attitude. It's, I don't think Jesus anyway said, that's right, you, you ain't got no husband. I think he said, I know, I know he's not your husband. I know that you've had five. You know what he's trying to do? He's saying, I know this. See, I knew this already. And yes, I'm still engaging you, even knowing what I know. Isn't it awesome that the one who loves you most and knows you best that the one who loves you most knows you best. That 
oh, oh, you didn't think I already knew that? Because you probably think if I, if, if, if I would have known that, I would have never even engaged you because that's what you've experienced your whole life. See, there, obviously there's no way she could have known that Jesus knew this about her. And anybody who had ever known this about her avoided her at all costs. So it's even more confusing that not only is this man engaging me, he's engaged me already knowing that I'm a Samaritan and know what, so there's already one barrier he's refused to allow to stop him from engaging me. And maybe if she's thinking that in her mind, like you engage me even though you know I'm a Samaritan and I'm a woman, but if you really knew everything about me, you wouldn't even be talking to me because most people don't. And then Jesus says, yeah, I know. I know you've had five husbands. I know the guy you're living with now is not your husband. And I'm still here. And I, and I still wanna talk. And I still wanna engage you. And you notice how quickly she tries to change the subject? Okay, let's not talk about relationships. Let's talk about religion. Like I'm so willing to not talk about relationship. I'll talk about the one of the things you're not supposed to talk about, politics and religion. I'll just go to religion. I don't even wanna talk about that. I know you've had five husbands. I can see that you're a prophet. Hey, let's talk about worship. Because you think we're supposed to worship. And, he, and Jesus is like, yeah, I know all that. But here's the thing. The reality is all this stuff that you want to talk about now, eventually it's not even going to matter. Matter of fact, it already doesn't matter. Because I'm ushering in something new. And so all these lines that we've drawn to separate my people and your people, I'm the one that's gonna erase them all and unify all. And it'll be because of me that all those things no longer are significant. And it won't matter where you worship and where I worship, it's gonna be about who we worship. And I'm ushering in something different. So, so we don't even need to talk about that because I'm gonna fix it all. I know that we've made this big deal out of the temple and you've made this big deal out of this thing, but I'm gonna come this place. I'm gonna unleash the Holy Spirit from that temple and then it ain't gonna matter where we worship anyway. So we don't even need to really get down into this conversation. That true worshipers will not be about where they worship, but the fact of who they worship. And he teaches her this lesson. And the disciples walk up and they're confused. And obviously Jesus at some point unpacks all this for John as he writes it down. And as I've read this story, I've been reminded of what I've been reminded as I'm walking through John again, of how often we make these assumptions in scripture. And that we put this woman in this box as being this terrible person and all these things. But, but you, know, you, you know what's something that I don't think most of us know? She had been divorced five times. And so we just assume something wrong, was wrong with her. One divorce, maybe two, three, by five, this woman, she just must be crazy. Because that's just what experience tells us or whatever. But did you know in their culture, women could not divorce men, only men could divorce women. So every single time that she got divorced, she had no control over it, would have had no control over it. Divorce in Jesus's day was more rampant than maybe it's ever been in all of history when you study it. And they had made it so easy for it to happen 
that for a man to divorce a woman, all he had to do was take her out in public and declare three times publicly, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you, done. So not only would she be publicly shamed, she would have no control over it. She wouldn't even be able to, to, to go back to their home. If he brought her out there, even her, her stuff, her clothing, all, she would be left to her own devices, pretty much left out in the streets. He didn't even have to let her back in their house. Five times this is what she had been through. Five times she had met a man who made a vow to love her forever. And five times that man had gone back on it. Five times she had stood out in front of friends and family and heard somebody who she thought would love her forever say, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. And by the time Jesus meets her, I believe she is wrecked by rejection. Wrecked by rejection. That is all she's ever known. And of course, people believed about her the same thing we've believed about her. She must have been awful for five men to abandon her. She, she must have been all kinds of crazy or have some kind of issues. Five times, not just rejected, but publicly rejected. And so that day when she walks through that well, I can't imagine the headspace that she's in. Because rejection does things to you. And I don't know that most of us even, but when you've been rejected your whole life, when you've been cast aside like nothing your entire existence, when you've multiple times had people just abandon you, it breaks you. It gets you to the point where you build walls. That's what un unworthiness causes us to build walls. Because when you've been rejected that many times, you finally get so broken, you say, not anymore. I'd rather die alone than be rejected again. And so you keep people at a distance. Come on, this is for somebody in the room or somebody online. Somebody's about to find a breakthrough right here. We start to build walls and we start to feel this, this sense of rejection. And when she comes to Jesus, there's no wonder she's, she's hesitant to engage him because here it is, another man. And every man that she's ever known has done this to her. So much so that the man she's living with now, she won't marry. I'm not gonna go through that again. I know I need to be around a man because culture says I'm gonna have to have it to be taken care of, to be provided for, but I'm not gonna put myself in a position to stand out in this public courtyard and have another man reject me. And because of all this, maybe those same ladies, maybe that's why, again, she didn't come with those ladies to the well because they too had rejected her because they made the same assumptions about her we have throughout history. And here Jesus, the savior of the world, walks in and says, I see every bit of you. I know every detail. All the things that for the rest of your life, you think you're gonna have to hide for somebody to love you. And not only do I know them, I know them and I love you anyway. I don't not see it. I don't ignore it. I don't even dismiss it. I know your brokenness. I see it and I love you anyway. And that, that rejection that's caused you now to settle for less than you deserve and it's causing you to resist what you know you need. 
I'm offering you something that no other man has ever offered you, a love that will last. A love that will last. I know you've been wrecked by rejection, but I'm here for redemption. And then look, look what happens. Verse 28, chapter four, says, then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. I automatically see a change in her. She runs back to the town. And now if it would have been me, I would have been so bitter probably at the way that they had treated me. I'd be like, I ain't telling y'all what I found. Here's a woman who's doing everything she can to avoid people. And she meets Jesus and says, look, y'all treated me really bad, but I just, I think I found something. I think I found someone that is gonna change everything for all of us. And, and I need you to come meet him. And it says in verse 39, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with him and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we've heard for ourselves and we know that this man is really the savior of the world. Have you ever noticed that God engages the rejects, redeems them and uses the reject to spark revival. She was the outcast. She was on the fringes and she would be the one that would be the voice that would tell her whole village about Jesus and spark a revival in her community from reject to revival. There's somebody that needs this reminder that all those reasons that you're building walls, all those things that you're allowing to stand between you and a new beginning, Jesus is like, I, I see them, I know them, and I love you anyway. And if you'll put your hope and trust in me, I'll heal the broken pieces created by the rejection, I'll redeem you, and not only that, I'll use you to spark revival in places that you never thought possible. This woman did what she did every single day, came to a well. She kept going back to that well. And this one moment would change it forever. She walks to the well, defeated, rejected, frustrated, believing that all she will ever know is all that she has ever known until she meets Jesus. And in one encounter, she finds the healing and hope necessary to move forward. And now she has a whole different picture of her future. Now she knows that no matter what happens with this guy or what those people think, no matter what happens from here on, I've met the savior of the universe, the one sent from God that everybody's waited for 
And he accepted me and he loved me and he spoke hope and life into me. And no, he didn't condone my behavior, but he didn't condemn me for it. And now I have a purpose. And I don't know what you've experienced and what kind of wounds you're carrying with, carrying around and thinking that those wounds are gonna always be an obstacle to your future. But Jesus is waiting to engage you the same way he did her and speak hope and life into you. That day, Jesus woke her up out of the pain of rejection, redeemed her and revived her hope and her future. And he wants to do the same for you. So you bow your heads, close your eyes with me. I don't know what kind of pain and frustration that you're dealing with right here in this moment. See, some of us, like you came here, you engaged online, you did what you've been doing week after week, and you've been keeping this whole thing at arm's length because what you've experienced just says, don't let them in, don't listen too hard, don't, like let's just keep everything at a distance. And Jesus is looking at you and saying, I see it all, I know it all, and I love you anyway. And I wanna do something today in your heart, in your life, to bring you not from bad to good, but from dead to alive. So Lord, I pray right now in this moment that all the people that feel that hopelessness may be brought on by a lifetime of rejection or realizing that there's one that sees it all and knows it all and is still waiting for relationship. Offering not a love that is temporary, but a love that will last. And God, today we choose you. We thank you for choosing us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. We hope that what you experience today inspires you to live and love like Jesus. Stay connected with what's happening at Vintage and grow deeper in your faith by downloading the Vintage Church app. Through this app, you have access to sermon notes, upcoming events, devotionals, additional podcasts, and opportunities to connect in community. You can easily download our app by going to app.vintagechurch.net. We hope you join us again soon.